One Sunday afternoon, Sanford and Catherine invited us out to their lake place, a tiny one-bedroom house their family had named Owl Tree Cottage on a swampy little North Florida lake. When we got out there, we got a quick tour of the three rooms, and they led us around a system of trails that they had blazed through the palmettos and azaleas. That whole system was probably only an eighth of a mile if you straightened out all the loop-de-loops. But there was a story at every turn. Over lunch, they shared some of those stories, the stories their family had made in this place over the years. They told us how they'd go out after church on Sunday when their kids were little and come back to town when Prairie Home Companion was replaying that night. And even those few hours, that little afternoon, they said they found refreshment. They came back feeling like they'd been away all weekend. It was just one of those magical places that could restore them in the span of an afternoon. And then at the end of that visit, they handed us a set of keys. We want this place to be your place, too. Come as often as you want. We hope it's as restful and renewing for you as it is for us. I knew, of course, that we had been given a big gift, a generous gift to be able to come to this beautiful place that was so dear to our friends. But I also received it with some suspicion. Could the place really be so refreshing? It was only a half hour from our house, not exactly a getaway. There was nothing to do and nowhere to eat nearby, which meant packing up the kitchen every time we went out. Also, I left out an important part of that first visit. Catherine and Sanford had suggested that Rochelle and I take their canoe out for a spin around the lake on an afternoon when, we would later learn, meteorologists had issued a small craft advisory because of the wind. We'd gotten blown all the way across the lake, powerless against the waves, and fighting with each other the whole way because we figured it was the other person's fault, and also because we were terrified of being dumped into the lake and sinking our friend's boat and being eaten by alligators. It was a real possibility in this lake. So now, barely dried off from my panic sweats and exhausted from rowing back with Sanford, who had driven to the other side of the lake to save us and his boat, I was skeptical about how restful a place this could be. But we took the keys gratefully, and a couple weeks later, we decided to try it out for ourselves. Being a preacher and having to be back on Sunday, we only had time for a single night out there. We loaded up food for three meals, and we drove the 30 minutes to Redwater Lake. We unlocked the gate at the end of the long drive, and we listened a little nervously as the high grass of that dirt road scraped the bottom of our low-riding Honda Fit. And then, as we pulled up in front of Altree Cottage, I felt something in me start to unwind. And because there was nothing to do or nowhere to go eat nearby, we didn't need to do anything or go anywhere for the next 24 hours. And because it was only 30 minutes outside of town, it had been easy to slip away. And because we didn't get the canoe out, we were never in fear for our lives. 
And driving back the next day, listening to Prairie Home Companion, I knew they were right. This was one of those places, a refreshing, restorative place. Bethany is that place in the scriptures, at least for Jesus. We're preaching through all these stories that happen there over seven weeks, and this is one of the weeks when, I'll admit, we're stretching a little bit. If you listen closely, you could tell that this story that we heard this morning, it doesn't really happen in Bethany, at least not until the final sentence. He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. That's what I have to go on this morning. That's what I have to preach on. And I was glad to get it because Rebecca is going to end up having to preach on even harder ones next week and the following week. I was glad to get it, too, because of what it says about Bethany. On the hardest week of his life, Jesus chose to stay in our namesake town. In case you didn't recognize it, this part of the story we read this morning, Jesus turning over the tables in the temples, it comes directly after the Palm Sunday part. It's a big day for Jesus. He's welcomed into the city of Jerusalem by adoring crowds, and then he goes directly into the seat of religious power and flips the tables and drives the money changers out with whips. And after all that, he walks out to Bethany and he goes to sleep. And it's not just on this day, it's, it's every night of Holy Week. He walks to Jerusalem and teaches during the day, and then he comes back to Bethany at night. On this week when he does his most important work, when he performs his most controversial acts, when he celebrates the high holy days with his friends, and when he is betrayed and killed, Jesus stays at Bethany. And I'm excited to preach on this passage because I think it says there's something special about Bethany, that it's one of those places of of restoration and refreshment. That every time Jesus spent the night there, it made him feel like he'd taken a whole weekend off. I like to think that it was those trips back and forth to Bethany each day that made his work in Jerusalem possible or at least made it a little easier. And as evidence for all of these things that I like to think, I have absolutely nothing. I already read you the one verse I have to work with. He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. That's it. There's a little evidence that it wasn't just that one night. Later in the week, there's a morning when it says he was traveling out of Bethany to Jerusalem, and he cursed a fig tree weirdly. Rebecca will have to preach on that. And later that day, it says he passed the tree again, so that's two more nights. And before the Last Supper, the story says he sent two of the disciples into the city to find a place where they could celebrate Passover. It doesn't say they were in Bethany, but it seems likely. I think there's plenty of evidence to say Jesus spent his final nights in our little namesake town. But in terms of its power for restoration and renewal, when it comes to stories about how it was a special place that could make time stretch out and start to unwind you the moment you arrived, there's nothing. Except this. He keeps going there. 
night after night. He chooses to stay there. Presumably, there were places to stay in the big city in Jerusalem. He didn't have to walk the mile and a half back and forth each way to Bethany, but he did every night. And every morning, he had the energy to walk back into Jerusalem. And not just to travel that mile and a half, but the energy to walk back into the city and confront those in power. To preach and teach love in the face of those who were plotting to kill him. So he must have found refreshment somewhere. Something must have refilled him. All week I try to figure out what it was. What happens at Bethany that makes it all possible? I thought about all of those stories. And I wondered, you know, what happens there? And because we're trying to draw parallels between that Bethany and our Bethany, what can we do? How do we make this place like that one? And I failed. For one thing, the events that take place at Bethany are all over the map. At Bethany, Jesus spends time with friends. He is cared for. He also cares for others. He teaches. He heals. He eats. He gets hungry. He sleeps. He cries. He fights. He does all the normal things. And there's nothing in any of these stories to say why this town What made it special? Why did it mean so much? Why did he make it his place? And what can we do to make a place like that? There's nothing, trust me, I looked. And then I I try to think, what made Owl Tree Cottage so special, or, or any of those places in my life, the ones that seem to stretch time, to pack in more rest and renewal than could possibly fit in the tiny time slot my schedule allows. And those places and times were all over the map, too. They were days of doing nothing and weekends where I worked as hard as I possibly could. They were moments to myself and times surrounded by people. There were weeks I got to do just what I wanted and weeks I did whatever someone else asked me. They happened far from home and literally in my backyard. They were places in the mountains and by the ocean, in the city and beside a swampy little North Florida lake. And try as I might, I could not make a connection. I couldn't draw a lesson for you, a list of to-dos for us as a community to make somewhere like that for ourselves. And then I remember the first time I ever walked into Bethany's sanctuary through that door over there. I was with Linda Zawada. We had just met as Rebecca and I had our first interview with the search committee, and I can tell you now our sense was that it had not gone well. But we asked to see the sanctuary because we're church nerds. It didn't seem like we were going to get another shot at seeing it. And Linda led us in. Linda's a longtime member of this community, and at that point, she had had her first stroke. She wasn't talking much. During the meeting, she would write things down, and her husband, Dan, was there, and he would read them out for her. But now, as we came into the sanctuary, Linda spoke. And she either said, I can't remember exactly, but she either said, this is my place, 
or this is my home. And I could feel it. Even in my disappointment that I was never going to be a pastor at Bethany, I felt a sense of the peace and power in this place. And I felt it many times since then. And many of you have told me that you felt it too. A sense of peace, of love, of connection, not just in this building, but among these people, in this community. And I realize that the spaces that restore us are not spaces that we make. They're not spaces we can construct or control. They are gifts we receive. We find them and hold on to them. And if we're wise, we go back as often as we can, day after day, week after week, to be refilled. Today is our congregation's annual meeting, and it's good to have the reminder in the midst of all our work that there is nothing we can do to make this place special, nothing we need to do. We found it this way. Its specialness is a gift, a retreat we can come to not that far from our homes, most of us, not exactly a getaway. And sometimes packing up to get here, we wonder, is it all going to be worth it? I live across the courtyard and am paid to be here, and sometimes I wonder, is it going to be worth it? And then, so often, it is. Not for any reason we can point to. Different things strike us time to time. The way we are cared for, the chance to care for others, the things we do or say or think here or not having to do or say or think anything, the togetherness, the solitude, the music, the words, quiet. There is no evidence that it was any of it or all of it. There's nothing we can do to make a place to be refreshed and renewed, but having found it, we can tend it. We can blaze another trail through the azaleas or go rescue the canoe on the other side of the lake or just tell the stories that remind us why we come back. Today we celebrate having found this place, having found one another, having been found by the God who gifts us with refreshment and renewal. Today we give thanks for the people who have tended this spot for another year, going to meetings and calling plumbers and paying bills and practicing music, planning Sunday school lessons, thinking and worrying about the life of this community on our behalf. Today we remember that there are others who are looking for a place like this, tired folks who are trying to do difficult things, someone maybe going through the hardest week of their lives. Today we remind ourselves to tell the stories and share the keys, to say to them, we want this to be your place too. Come as often as you want. We hope it's as restful and renewing for you as it is for us.